I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Legend Rouge Cycling Podcast presented by Zwift for Paranis Stage 8. Recap, this is the 118-kilometer Nice loop stage, a training loop that many of the riders will have done featuring multiple punchy climbs, all less than 20 minutes long, and they get progressively steeper throughout the stage with Cote de Pays, 6.6k, 7%. That's where I think Martinez attacked last year. Yep. Then a long step descent uh, through Ayres, and then they do the cold Ayres, which has a 2km, 11% section before a step descent into Nice. I think that's the Latourbi descent. We had Pagacha 12 seconds ahead of Guru going into the stage. And really nice weather. I got the shorts on today here, <laughs> and it was 20 degrees, definitely summer kit in Nice, which was good for the riders. It is called the race for the, for the sun after all, but uh, last year it was treacherous conditions, cold conditions, and uh, definitely made for a more exciting finish. But satellite riders, we, got, we, we didn't have full chaos, Benji, but we did have some interesting riders in the break. Yeah, and it started off without the satellite riders, actually, when we saw a Tug Buddy movement by UnoX Pro Cycling. This is like next level Tug Buddy, as in Christoph going up the road with Gregard and pulling Gregard into a breakaway and then dropping. That's like, that's like textbook, right? Yeah, it was perfect. Christoph doing the work. <laughs> he was a little bit off in the sprint stages, but... Uh, one of the goals for UNOX was to take the KOM jersey in this race. And I think their first, they were at Catalonia, but their first French World Tour stage race. And they did that. So job accomplished for Gregard. He was in every break. He probably was even in the break on Zwift on stage six when it got cancelled. Um, <laughs> but for your week ahead on Zwift, we have the Tour of Utopia. As I said, stage two is this Weak double XP, double points for you to snag more swag and level up faster. Benji will be racing throughout this week, but I believe there's a secret video coming on the later stages, so I won't say too much about that uh, on Zwift. But if you want to check it out and get a free seven-day trial, you can go to the link down below, Zwift.com. But Benji, unlike Tirreno yesterday, the lack of teams with, uh, we mentioned this in the preview yesterday, the lack of teams with a serious second GC option really meant yep. no one that threatening could go on the break. <laughs> exactly. We didn't have like breakaways with satellite riders, but you know they're not going to come into play that easily in the stage either. They're just going to stay up the road until they get caught again and so forth. But anyway, let's talk about it. A large group gets away. This is behind the Gregard who's still up the road. Christoph's already back in the peloton or already on his way to the Gruppetto at this point, but a large group is created with Trotnik in there. So a Jumbo satellite rider for Vingegaard. We've got Hamilton for Simon Yates. Nervais could go for the stage, could be for Sivakov, who's still like somewhere around 10th in GC, I think. Stefan Kung, very vital potentially for Godu, also in the breakaway satellite rider. 
right in there as well could be for um who the hell is the Bahrain rider again? Gino Mater? Mater. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Pedroid going in the breakaway. Uh, because he doesn't want to be uh he doesn't want to be uh penalized for anything that happens to Finger Guy in this stage. Anyway, loads of other riders in there. Isagere Yon, Oliver Nelson, Kevin Vaucalin, who bridges up to that breakaway a bit later, Jean Poussin, teammate, Ainkorn, Kalmajan, Golsens, De La Cruz, Ul Gregard, but they're all like six plus minutes and Instantly, UAE is already pacing like crazy to keep this gap on roughly a minute max because they want to control the stage. They want to make sure that all these satellite riders probably don't go up the road. What do you think should be a strategy for UAE here? As in, they want to control the race to make sure no dangerous breaks go. But if there's a group with satellite riders in it, are you that scared of, for example, a Trotnik being in there or a Kung being in there? Um, I think they were just going for the stage the whole time. Uh, <laughs> to be honest, I think <laughs> they weren't worried about Gino Mater attacking across to Fred Ride or anything like that. To be honest, I think they were just going for the stage. And listen, it's the final stage of the race. It's you've got the best rider here. You've got the best possible parkour for their rider. It's his home roads. You've got a pretty strong team for it. He's better than the other GC guys go to in Vingegaard. Go for it. Um, but I will be interested to see, Benji, will they repeat the mistakes of Stage 9 and Stage 10 in the Tour de France last year? Because there was a bit of that. There is the argument which we made, well, I made yesterday, where I was like, do you really want to pace really hard with Roglic in the GC lead uh, on a sort of <laughs> difficult stage? But the thing is, Pogaccio isn't Roglic. Like, at no point did we ever think, oh, especially in, you know, nice conditions, Pagach is just going to collapse on Cote de Pays. He's yep. never done it in his career. He's never done it on the large climb on these sort of 15-minute climbs. So if you want to go for the stage, why not? Some teams didn't like it. De La Cruz wasn't happy later in the stage. Um, but this is professional bike racing and there's Will no that gifts. I think there were a lot of people like, I think commentators even mentioned, oh, at some point this will backfire to Pogacar that he always tries to win the stage and so forth, but it's bike racing, eh? Like, I don't even think it will backfire. Um, no, like, that's the thing. When Roglic, quote-unquote, stole the, uh, the stage from Maida in Paranis, like, well, I guess Fred Wright crashed him out, so maybe it did come back <laughs> <laughs> Colbrelli as well eh? oh, Col yeah, there's like this so major I, conspiracy <laughs> yeah um, yeah like there has to be some situation where UAE need a favour from Astana in the, in the future like it oh, it doesn't matter no. really um, I mean the Yumbo do it too like I didn't like when Wavanart took the intermediate sprint from Nils Eckhoff in the tour last year yes. when he'd mathematically just about won the points jersey, and then I think afterwards, like, was criticizing Echo for it. I really, really didn't like that. Uh, I yep. think, but this is different. This is a stage when a Paranese, like, come on. Um, <laughs> and it could backfire. It could back, like, yeah, Yumbo paced too hard last year. It could backfire. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. UAE were burning through their riders reasonably quickly. They had Trentin pacing on the base of, uh, we did have on the descent of Cote to Chateau Neuf, I think. Before coverage, maybe starting, starting, there was that's probably the steepest, longest extended descent today. There were yep. splits, but it all came back together, and the brakes started to split up too with 
Trent, no, not Trenton, uh, Tratnik, Kung, Champoussin, I think, and uh, Hamilton, but they were just on and such Nossen. a tight leash, Benji. Oh, oh yeah, and Erasure. He was the strongest of the five. Was <laughs> he? Actually, kind of he was, because the GC group behind was becoming smaller and smaller, and Vingo was basically isolated at this point, with Tratnik being up front. I will just talk about the break for a tiny bit before we get to that for a second. We see that group kind of splitting apart once pulls bridges towards the breakaway and attacks that breakaway and Nasen is the last one to try and hold on to Wout So Wout Pools is at this point the lone rider up front. But to go back to that moment there, Vingegaard is isolated with Tratnik ahead. Is it risky in a race like this of Jan Bovisma to keep Vingegaard isolated or would you say that it's a balance between, first of all, you think about how much of a danger is it to Vingegaard that he's alone there and a puncture happens and a crash? I'd say at this moment, with this specific scenario where he's fighting just for a podium spot, I would risk it as well, right? I mean, there's a pretty big gap between him and Yates from third to fourth. There's also a pretty big gap from third to second and third to first. So, like, he also doesn't care, like, yeah. like about, you know... Third, second. Third versus second. So, it even if he was close, you'd want to try to think ahead because he can drop back easier than if he's hanging on full gas in the group yeah. and something goes wrong, well, they can only help you so much. Uh, so, yeah, I think it it is a bit of an illusion when a rider is quote-unquote isolated, but they have riders ahead. I'd always rather have the rider ahead yeah, as long as they've not completely burned themselves. And UAE were, yeah, they were getting through their riders. They they really pace. Oh, that's not true. Cote Pay, I think, was slow. Poles yeah. did it faster than UAE. The plan was to have Wellens do Cote de Pay and the descent into the base of Caldez. It's a long pedaling the whole time, that descent. You need to be... And this is where I was like, mm, Poles attacked that break. And I was like, could have done with a Stefan Kung and a Tratnik yeah. helping you there. They got brought back and sort of sat in the group and gave bottles to their respective GC leaders. But it just looked like UA was setting a Pog attack up. Benji was... At that point, the race was done. Yeah, already. And the thing is, like, last year, we had the Yumbo strategy on the stage where they blew it up themselves, exposing themselves and making themselves vulnerable for attacks by other people and other GC riders in this race because Roglic then ended up not being the strongest rider anyway. But when it comes to UAE here, they don't do that move. They don't explode the race so early on, like, oh, the pay no. or the, what was it? So I'd argue that UAE made a much better and safer strategy today than Yumbo did last year, right? Yeah, I think what happened, basically Wellens, he's always going to be quicker than Poles on this sort of pedaling descent. They didn't, yeah, they did code to pay slower than they needed to. They did it to make sure that Wellens could do that whole descent and they could keep yep. Groschartner in the wheels. They didn't have Groschartner pace, code to pay super hard. Huge group, Genius there with Godou, Simon Yates is there with Sobrero, uh, Bahrain have got Mader and Haig, Sivakov's there with Martinez still, and Kalmajan, it's still a group of 20. Nick Schultz there. Even Soren Cryer Anderson made it over Code to Pay, so maybe see him on Poggio uh, next weekend. And we come into, while well, Poles is caught on the descent, we come onto the Caldez and Groschartner goes like full lead out at the bottom, super hard sprinting, and then comes back together, keeps pacing. And UAE are like, well, we don't have to do anything. Groschartner can pace this whole climb if he wants to because. Pog will win the sprint anyway. And then Simon Yates, I think almost in the same 
spot he attacked Roglic last year. It looks so different because of the weather. He goes on the steep part with like 4Ks to go, I think, of uh, or 3.8Ks to go on Caldez near these villas. And um, he's a long, it's a long attack. Siv- Jorgensen can't respond, Powers can't respond, yeah. but Gadu, Vingegaard, and Pog are in the wheel, and, and Pog counters Benji, and it's race over. It is race over. Now, I think it's difficult how to judge Godou's response to that because he like gets out of his saddle, he starts sprinting behind Pogacar for like one and a half seconds, and then he stops completely. He was already on a gap. Like there was a gap, so there was he probably wasn't going to make it anyway. I'll, I'll be honest about that. I don't. I didn't really believe in that. But he, at that point, he just settles in. He he just sits down and he sits in the group with Vingegaard, and Vingegaard starts pacing and he's using Vingegaard to pace and. He paces a bit himself, but mainly Jonas Vingegaard is once again pacing the group. So do you think he tried and realized he couldn't do it? Or do you think he was like, oh, I should use Jonas Vingegaard to try and close it like I did yesterday? I think he, they came into the stage wanting to defend second. And that's how he approached the stage. And like, I'm going to have to do it in the tour. I can already sense it again. Um, but one of Pogacar's biggest weapons is, and it's justifiable yeah. because he is often stronger, but is he attacks and risks it knowing just on Carpena last year that the group behind, they're going to give you 15 free seconds whilst they squabble amongst themselves. Now, yeah. you're probably still going to win anyway, but Carpena last year, this here, I believe, and also the stage he won on stage eight in 2021 when he won by three and a half minutes he didn't win by three and a half minutes because he physically could go three and a half minutes quicker on this team climb or whatever the set the last climb was you can see in the power data of guru they were like freewheeling at parts because and it's so smart and it's why pagach's consistency and his snap and he's going to win anyway i get it but guru i would have said okay can't follow whatever can't follow you can't follow I would say leaning on third to chase back first when you're in second is like Vingegaard's never going to pull full gas. But then he attacks that group. And I'm like, now I'm confused. I don't know. And it was a strong attack. I was like, you should have spent this bullet getting into Pog's wheel because after it levels off, remember last year, it levels off and it's like goes onto the main road and it's shallow and draft is huge. Remember Wout pulling Roglic back to Yates. So I don't know. Could he have got back into the wheel if he'd played it differently? Probably not. But um, I think he was just playing for second. I fear so as well. And then eventually you drop back to that second group anyway that you attacked. It's like, at that point, it was too late to make that move, like you said. Yeah, because yeah. Once you the have had energy. 15, 20. Yep, exactly. And the gap went on. It was like 30. It was 40. At a certain point, it was 50 seconds. And... It started going down a bit more towards the end once they went into the, the full-on descending part, like between like the bollards that uh, were sketchy last year. They were a bit more safe this year, right? I felt like there were like dry. actual protections on it. <laughs> yeah, uh, that as well, but like protection parts on? No? Was I blind? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I guess they know the roads pretty well, like Jorgensen and co. <laughs> Jorgensen came back to that group. Now, he's dropped yeah. Bardet, made a powerless. They're all ahead of him on GC. He's doing... A big amount of work for this group because he's just riding for GC. Pagach has gone. The four are relaying. Yates can't really pull too much on the last 1500 meters of the climb. 
And yeah, as Benji said, they don't really make an impression on Pog. He descends safely. He wins the stage in the, on the Promenade des Anglais. Uh, well clear. Time to post up. And a dominant performance from him at Paris-Nice, winning three stages, winning GC by 53 seconds uh, behind. Very unlucky for Jorgensen, who the group started to play for the sprint a little bit, and he had to pull. He ends up coming on the stage fifth. Vingard beats Godou in the sprint and Yates, but that means that he's only he stays in eighth on the same time as Bardet and two seconds behind Paulus. So unlucky for Jorgensen, Mader and Haig and uh, Sivakov and Bardet really came back to that group. They only finished 10 seconds behind and they were 25 seconds behind before. So uh, that's a shame for for him, but the gaps between Gudu, Vingegaard and Yates yep. meant that those guys were just going to play for the stage result. Um, so yeah, that's Paranese. It... Uh, Hey, at least we called it yesterday. That would be a disappointing stage. Yeah, yeah, we knew. <laughs> we knew. Because um, the stage happened exactly like how everybody expected it to be. Just action on Coldes and Pogacar is gone. That's the end. Yeah. And I don't know. You can't... I don't feel like we can 100%... It's not for being boring. Yeah, it's not Pog's fault for being boring. It's the fact that there's so many factors going into this. Eh? You mentioned it earlier. No multiple leaders in GC. The factor that... The Vingard's riders that are in GC won't risk it. What's our Vingar's off, for example, as well. Godou's happy with a second place. If that's a rider that has won much in the past, that might change things, but that's not the case. So there's so many factors leading to the situation where nobody's going to risk a lot to lose a potential position, but for the desire of winning a position, of course. I don't know. It's, uh, it's disappointing, but hey, at least we're prepared for it. And uh, hey. We'll get better races in the future. It's not the end of the world. Yeah, it's. I think the, the problem was, and not problem, it was billed as the big showdown between Pogacar and Vingegaard, and it, it was, but the, clearly Vingegaard <laughs> did not bring his Watts of Gran Camino here. Yeah. He it's was a quad not... mountain. <laughs> yeah. To, well, even, is that like a medium mountain? Loge de Garde, <laughs> reluctance to even call that a mountain. Um, yeah, he did not... Vingegaard didn't bring... Top shape. And without top shape, you have no chance against Pogaccia, even with the TTT. And I think I'm just looking through Gudu's results. I believe this is his first ever World Tour stage race GC podium uh, after winning Tour de l'Avenir back in 2016. He obviously had fourth in the Tour. He's had, I think, fourth in UAE or fifth in UAE, but first ever. Uh, it's his best ever, yeah, one week GC result. And he was yep. close to Pogaccia before this stage. Actually, really, really close. And he didn't go for the intermediate sprints in the first two stages. Maybe that's a regret. But still, he's made a big statement to FDJ. Uh, and I still think they should take Demar and shouldn't send seven domestiques. <laughs> <laughs> I agree that Demar should probably be in that team because there's so many sprint stages in the Tour de France that you want someone to actually be able to compete there if you're a French team for certain. Yeah. But you think that this Godou could do something in... Well, in LBL, we know that he can make the front group, but... Yeah. You believe in flesh? He got seventh there once? At this level, uh, maybe podium? He was very, very good on Loge de Garde. They did like 6.6 watts per kilo for 16, 17 minutes around there. Very, very good performance. Uh, he was second in Fournardesh. 
fourth in Fawn Drone Classic. I physically he's very good, but in the finals, when because he's not physically often better than the guys he's in the group with, I don't trust him to just make those exact decisions to maybe win a race where he isn't the strongest. Um, because that's what you need to do against a Pagacha, a Vingegaard, a Roglic, whoever. Um, so Loge de Guard attack was good, but then some other stages, uh, like the mountaintop finish yesterday, maybe, like, for example, I watched on the plane, because uh, I had nothing to do, I watched for Nardash Classic Benji. Where was, he it was, was it better than Pardon? Was it better than Banshee on in a Shireen? <laughs> it was. It was better. And he was very, very good in Fornardesh, but the way he rode for second. Like, he didn't ride for second, but he did, because yeah. there was sort of, oh, just go to the finish style, Philippe, and maybe we'll see how it goes. When it comes to flesh and stuff, I like someone like a Martinez. Um, I mean, Remco's going anyway. So, anyway. <laughs> He's in very, very good shape. So FDJ generally, Genietz, Kuhn, Demar was also climbing well. They've got a lot of guys climbing very, very well. Um, Jorgensen also stands out. Benji, you said on Twitter the other day, off to Trek. We already discussed it a little bit. He's, I don't, I don't think Schielmos or anyone on their roster is finishing in that group in Paranese. Um, Skjelmos this year might be close to it, but we don't know that because he crashed out of Tirreno, I yeah. think. So no, it's unfortunate. Was it here? Yeah, yesterday. The Gent on the uh, bridge, well, right? I don't remember how high, high it was in GC, so I generally can't tell you. Um, that being said, I agree because it's also an American rider on a team that has an American sponsor that probably values more than having having Skelmos in that team as well. But also, why would you not try have two GC riders if you're Trek Sigafredo? Like, I feel like it's valuable to have that. And Jorgensen is probably, Jorgensen is probably not the most uh, expensive rider in the world either, even though he's talented. But there's going to be more than one team that's interested in this man. I'm very curious who it's going to be, but I guess we'll figure it out later, eh? <laughs> yeah, he's good. He's obviously the TT. You know, the question mark, is he bad at TT or is he on Movistar? And that's why he's bad at TT. You know, there's, yeah. yeah, that's something that needs to be ironed out because with his size, with his overall power, like he was really driving that chase group on the descent yeah. into Nice. He should be better than what Last he's shown year, in the time trial. 11 in the Dauphiné TT. That's not bad, eh? Yeah. That was a long flat TT, 31 kilometers. I think it's Movistar that's doing it. He was similar to a Yuzo there. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, otherwise, Sivakov was okay here. Martinez was not. He got dropped badly yesterday. Paulus, I should also say another American, he finished in sixth on 317, and he was yep. very good in the early stages. Uh, made us back in good shape. Yates just sort of doing Yates things. Bardet fine. I think, um, I don't know, Benji, all these Ineos riders aren't, I mean, it's only Paranese, but I'm talking about Torreno as well. None of them are jumping out and saying, give me that three-year extension. I'm yep. the GC guy. Um, obviously, Pidcock has that long-term deal. Gegenhart, I would say, is looking better than Martinez and Sivakov across both races. He's looked quite sharp. Um, yeah. But yeah, what about Paulus? 
I do. I'm I'm mostly curious when it comes to Paulus towards the classics because he's apparently riding the cobble classics, which he I believe is. is actually a a good move. I generally believe that he can compete there. He can be one of those riders that bombards his way into like an early move and people underrate him because he's usually not at those races and then suddenly he's in the top five of Ron van Vlaanderen. I truly believe that's possible. No? I think it's possible. He's a big engine. You saw him in world championships. He was very, very, very strong. Um, I hadn't really spoken about Pogacar at all. He has won, I can't count, like nine, ten races, whatever. Uh, this season already a thousand plus UCI points. Puts Paranis on the Palmares as well as Andalusia and Jaén Paraiso Interior. How you... Anything for the Tour de France from this stage? From this race? Not really. I think it's just that Pogacar is still on top of his game. And um, that doesn't change too much. Vingegaard was also not at the top of his game in March last year, so I'm not learning much from that. I do still feel like Roglic should be at the Tour de France next to Jonas Vingegaard, based on his performance in Tireno. I believe that duo should be there together. But after riding the Giro, Roglic might not be a top form to do that. So, I don't know. I think Jumbo is putting them in a, a worse position by not having two leaders in the Tour de France. Because then you get situations like this Paris where you don't have a second rider to go crazy on Pogacar to try and use unorthodox tactics to try and get better situations happening. And UAE looks stronger, I would say... Uh, with Wellens and Groschart, yes. they were the two new riders into the team that were also controlling this whole stage. And, and I think they did so well. And Trentin had COVID and couldn't do the tour last year and they had to bring Hirschi in. So, of course, with the heat, it's completely different for Wellens in the tour. But the team, you know, Groschartner might come in for Soler and Trentin will be in for Hirschi. And that team might be better and Yumbo can't control the early parts of stages so well. I don't know. I think what's clear for me is that if Vingegaard's behind, you need the firepower with the Dis Tour de France parkour to make some of those, like a Grand Colombier, really, really hard. If you have a group of 15, 12, mm -hmm. all the GC leaders, and Yumbo's last domestique pulls off, and then yeah. Vingegaard has to attack from in front of Pagacha on 7% from a group of 12. There is no possibility of success in that situation. Uh, you'll get countered or Pog will sit on and win the sprint. So, yeah, food for thought. But Pagacha looking very, very good. Um, I guess the bike is quicker than Tom Bonin said. But that's all from us. <laughs> We're going to watch the final of Torino Adriatico well, well, now. Well, well, well. Oh, sorry, it's not all from us. Correction. I actually went back to listen to that episode of Tom Bonin and the other guy. <laughs> And it actually wasn't Tom Bonin that said, that was the other guy, was Dirk yeah. the Wolf. So, Dirk the Wolf, goat pundit. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> Dirk the Wolf, he's the only person that I think, didn't he go into bat for Remco after the, the Siege of Leuven in 21? Siege of Leuven? I don't yeah. remember, but. I think hey, he went into bat for Remco. We did too. Come on. Yeah, but we're not Dutch. Well, sorry, I speak <laughs> Dutch, but. Um, we don't produce content in Dutch, so I mean okay. the Dutch media. Okay, okay, okay. I get that, I get that. It's fine. Right. Now on to Tireno, you're right. Tireno, we'll go watch this sprint. Bauhaus going to clean it. Lovely stuff. Uh, and then we'll see you with the recap of that in about an hour and a half. Until then, ciao. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 